Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Good morning. Uh, I did not introduce myself earlier. My name is Stephen. I am the lead pastor here at uh, City on a Hill. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Um, a few things before we get into the word this morning. Um, we are a new church. Um, we have only been meeting together uh, weekly, uh, partly on um, uh, Facebook Live as well as once a, once a month here in person uh, since the middle of September. And so we are a new church. Everybody feels new. And so we would love to help you get connected. And one way we'd love to do that is if I've not met you, I'd love to take you out for a socially distanced cup of coffee or a meal, my treat. And so you can fill out a connect card. You'll see a QR code for that uh, up on the wall. Um, just take out your phone, scan that. Um, I'd love to connect with you. We'd also That's also a great way to get more information about the life of our church, how you can get plugged in, uh, get our newsletter, find out about events. That's a great way to get connected uh, in that way. Our values here at City on a Hill are the gospel, community, and mission. We believe that the gospel is the good news that we are, we are bad people, and all of us. None of us have it all together. All of us are messed up on the inside, and we live that way in our lives. And uh, Jesus came to make us right through the work of the cross. He paid for our sins so that we could be a part of God's family. Uh, because of that, we believe in community, that God hardwired us for relationships. We need other people, and so we do that by gathering together in community groups and then mission, we believe that the good news of the gospel is something that should spread to every corner of our city and of our world. So we do this through sharing the gospel and we do this through uh, the way that we live in our neighborhood and taking uh, the gospel through missions to um, everywhere in our city and world. Um, also, a great way to get connected is through the Church Center app. So the Church Center app is um, a great app that you can download through the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. And on there, you can fill out a Connect card, you can give, uh, you can find out about events. Uh, and again, I also want to remind you about that after church hangout. So right after we're done here, even if you're joining us on Facebook Live and maybe you weren't as comfortable gathering together in a room, but you're like, hey, beautiful weather, let's hang out. We're going to hang out right on the front lawn. So please be sure to do that. Meet somebody new. Um, I'd love to connect with you if you're visiting today. Today. Uh, today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, and then 16 through 18. We're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read this scripture uh, for us. And when I'm done, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And I, I would ask you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Going over to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. 
So over the next two weeks, we're going to be zeroing in on the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been on the, in this series since the beginning of our church. I feel like this is the best way to start a church. Let's look at the, the words of Jesus, the very, uh, the biggest part of his teaching. And, uh, and the way that the Lord's Prayer works is it's kind of the peak of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the apex. It's, it's what everything is pointing to. And Jesus is saying, long for this kingdom that I've been talking about. You, you want this kingdom. This is the kingdom that brings flourishing. This is the kingdom that is the way that the world should be. And Jesus' desire in the Sermon on the Mount is that the world would look like heaven, that the world would look like heaven. And this takes on two different aspects. This takes on one aspect that God's glory would be spread everywhere, that every person, every living being, every creature would live out its God-designed purpose to glorify God in all things. Can we get an amen for that? I know we can't sing right here, but we can amen, right? We can, we can remind us that we have a pulse. Amen, right? Amen. We can praise God for that. But secondly, we believe that the world is going to be made right, that everything is going to be just, that the, that the world is going to look like the goodness and the glory of God. And we're going to unpack the, the, the kind of the content of the Lord's Prayer next week. But what we realize is that as people, we are looking at what we are going to experience in the future. We're going to experience that in full. There will not be a corner of the earth where the glory of God does not touch. There's not going to be a place or an institution or anything in the world that is unjust. But right now, we see it in part. We see places and people who glorify God. We see certain places where the world is just, but there are lots of places where this isn't true. And as Christians, we long for the kingdom of God to come to bear where the glory of God is not being experienced. We pray for the kingdom of God to come to bear where we see injustice and we see oppression because we believe this flourishing is for our good. So as Christians, we run there and this is the impetus for evangelism. We tell people about Jesus so that they may glorify God. We love our city and serve our city and do missions because we want to see brokenness undone. And so we sit in this tension as people, as Christians, as followers of Christ, because we see what is and we see what could be and we see what will be. St. Augustine, the African church father that Matt mentioned earlier, said uh, in his book, The City of God, uh, he said, so it falls out that in this world, in evil days like these, the church walks onward like a wayfarer stricken by the world's hostility, but comforted by the mercy of God. He wrote that in, in the fourth century, and you could take those words and bring them here into 2020 and believe this, because as Matt said, we are not home yet. We are not home. We live for a better kingdom in the midst of an earthly kingdom. And the only way that we can live rightly in the world we live in is with the kingdom of God in view. It's been a long week, right? This election has felt like seven years. Like it has been a long, long week. For some, there's been lots of uncertainty beginning of the week, there was a lot of fear, despair. Yesterday, it felt like there was this giant exhale in our city. I walked out on Center Street and it was, I mean, it was a celebration. I mean, it was like a collective exhale from the last four years. And what it reveals about us as people is often we put our hopes in political candidates and political parties. And I want to give a word of caution because what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that voting doesn't matter because it absolutely matters. I'm not saying that vo working for policies that help people don't matter. We, in fact, we should as Christians, I believe it is a, a duty of ours um, to, to advocate for candidates and policies that bring about human flourishing as much as possible. 
that helps alleviate poverty and alleviate oppression, that rejects those policies and those candidates that hurt people. But I believe we can only do that with the kingdom of God in view. We can only do that with the kingdom of God in view. And so what the kingdom of God does is it creates a lens through which we look at the world we live in. It creates a lens through which we look at politics. It creates a lens through which we look at policies. It allows us to celebrate the good that we see in a particular uh, candidate. It allows us to look at the good and, see, and, and, and resonate with, with lots of little, little uh, girls of color who are looking at Kamala Harris and saying, there's somebody who looks like me in the, in, in, in the White House. Like, like that's something we can celebrate, but it also allows us to look at it with a lens and pray for our, our, our political candidates and our leaders to live rightly and righteously and rule in a way that brings human flourishing. So as the church, we desperately need to long for the kingdom of God. Because in this moment, we live in a divided country. We live in a divided city. And the reality is, is that for some, some people are celebrating today and some people are not. And I'd imagine even within our own church, we see that because our highest calling is not to a political party. Our highest calling is to Jesus Christ and his church. And we are to live in a unified way that speaks truth and calls for confession and calls for repentance over historical wrongs, but also extends the olive branch with a common vision and a common hope that allows us to dig into the hard stuff, that allows for confession, that accurately deals with our history. So before we wholesale run to a political savior, we have to let Jesus and his kingdom give us that vision. So how do we do that? Jesus says that we pray and we fast for the kingdom of God. We long for it in our souls. We seek the good of our city, the good of our country. We pray for our president-elect, longing for the kingdom of God. So over the next two weeks, we're going to explore this. We're going to explore this morning about prayer, about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the motive, the discipline, and the outcome of prayer and fasting. So the first thing we see is the motive of prayer and fasting. So I want to explain a little bit about what prayer and fasting are. So, so how do we define prayer? The word prayer in the Bible literally means a face-to-face -face asking. The word there is to draw unto someone and to ask them for something. And so when we pray, we are going to God directly to him personally to ask him for something. And what we're doing is this is we're trusting that he can give it to us. We're believing that God can answer our prayers. And it's very personal. This is about connecting to the very person of God. And I feel a need to explain this because oftentimes when we think of prayer, what ends up happening is it ends up being this, um, it's just this idea of it's just some words that we say. Or, or it's wishful hopes or it's positive vibes. But it's so much more than that. It is connecting to God himself. The same goes with fasting. Fasting, a little bit of explanation there is it's the choice to forego food or to forego drink or forego some sort of worldly pleasure for a particular period of time to, in order to connect and be closer to God. And so the Bible, if you look at the Old Testament, talked about different types of fasts. On the Day of Atonement, which was this day when the Hebrew people would go and the high priest would make a sacrifice for the entire nation, they were called to fast. Sometimes it was circumstantial. It was either over some sort of personal or corporate sin. It was over uh, a longing for a decision, wanting to know what God wanted them to do. 
But the intention is to take a craving or a longing for food or something and direct that desire to God himself, believing that God satisfies us as we deny ourselves. John Piper describes fasting this way. He says, fasting abstains from some good gift of God to say to him, this much I want more of you, O God. And so in verses five and six, we see some similar language to we saw last week when we looked at giving to the poor. Jesus said that you can give to the poor, you can be generous in all the wrong ways. And in the same way here, Jesus says you can pray and you can fast with the wrong motive. So some would would go to the synagogue and they would make it all about themselves. And so in the synagogue, if you were asked to pray, this was a big distinction. So you would, they were asking you to pray before everybody else. And so you can imagine someone standing up and kind of puffing their chest out and saying, you know what? I was asked to pray at synagogue today. You can see the same thing happening in the streets where somebody would just happen to find themselves on the streets at a particular time of day when they were supposed to pray and they would drop to their knees and they would pray right there on, on a busy street corner. And what are both of those things doing? They're saying, look at who? Look at me. Look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at how holy I am. The same way with fasting. Some hypocrites, as Jesus describes them, would fast in such a way that where they would disfigure themselves and they would look gloomy and they would make sure that everybody knew what they were doing. And so Jesus is saying, watch your motives when you pray and fast. Watch your motives. Check your heart. Why do you pray? Think about that for a second. Why do you pray? Because what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying don't pray. In verse 5, he says, when you pray. In verse 16, he says, when you fast. There's an expectation that you would do these things. These are good and holy habits. But our habits form us. Our habits shape us. And also our habits expose what we love the most. And we will use prayer in order to get what we want most. We will sacrifice to get what we want And so a couple of questions to kind of dig at your own heart is when do you pray? What types of things make you pray or drive you to prayer? In verse five, Jesus says it could be the approval of others that we do holy things in order uh, like fasting or prayer in order to, to make ourselves look good. So my question is, is would you do the things you were called to do? Would you obey God if nobody else was listening? If nobody else was looking? If nobody else was watching? What you want most will drive you to prayer. What do you think about the most when you're by yourself, when you're in secret? And what drives most of us to prayer, if we're honest, is when we're in trouble, right? Like I pray most when I'm struggling. I pray most when I get in trouble. I pray most when when I have a health concern or or my circumstances, they feel completely out of my control, We often pray and connect to God when we sin. And so should we not go to God with these things? Of course we should go to God with these things, but they often reveal what we want most. They reveal that I want God to make this particular situation in my life better versus I want God himself. Would Jesus be enough if he didn't answer answer your prayers the way that you wanted? Would Jesus be enough if, if you had to lay something down in order to follow him, believing that he's enough for you? When you pray and what you pray about most reveals what you want. 
This is why we run to God when we feel out of control, because honestly, we feel like we're in control most of the time, don't we? And so we don't run to God because when we feel out of control, we need him to kind of bring our life back to equilibrium and make things feel right again. And honestly, that's why we run to God when we sin sometimes, because we just want the guilt and the shame to be taken away versus believing that the work is already finished. And that because the work is already finished, we have access to God because what should move you to prayer is this, is that you get face-to-face relationship with him. That the greatest gift that we have is Jesus in prayer. That he invites us to come be near him. That once we were separated from God and that Jesus dealt with everything that needs to be separated, that, needs to, that kept us from God so that we could enjoy the good reward of relationship with him. We pray because God loves us. See, prayer is meeting with a king. Remember, the kingdom of God, we've, we've talked about this since the beginning, is about the heart. And so Jesus is coming to rule and reign and set everything right, not just in the world, but in our lives. And so imagine your heart is like a castle. And what Jesus is doing is he's coming to set up his rule and his reign in your heart, and he wants to fill it with his love and with his radiance and with his presence. This is all about worship. You're always worshiping something. Even if you don't find yourself to be a religious person, you're worshiping something. It might be the Boston Red Sox, but you're worshiping something. We're all worshiping something. And what Jesus is saying is is that it's like a fire hose. You don't just turn the fire hose on. You have to redirect that hose towards where it's supposed to go. So you take a a fire hose, and where is a fire hose supposed to point at? Fire. That was an easy one. It's supposed to point at fire. In the same way, we are to take our God-designed desires and point them towards him in prayer, believing he loves us and is enough for us. So pray. Our motive to pray is because God loves us. Secondly, the discipline of prayer and fasting. We need to discipline ourselves for a prayerful life. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. I'm going to get into the content of the prayer next week. Um, But prayer and fasting are disciplines. These are things we have to work at. We want this to come easily, but we got to do a little bit of work here. Uh, And so the first thing we see about a disciplined prayer life is you have to prepare. Verse 6, Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So the idea here is they had a set-aside place, a set-aside time that they were going to pray. There was a certain determination here. Um, And so back in this time, they would have had a special room, probably with no windows, a private place, a quiet place, might be a cellar that they would go into and pray. Verse 17 is very similarly. You have to set your feet a little bit if you're going to fast. You need to not look gloomy or look disfigured, look like you've been sucking on a lemon. You need to like actually try to look happy while you do this. Um, So it says, anoint your head and wash your face. Prepare yourself. It's how you prepare yourself to meet the Lord in prayer and fasting. And some of you might be saying, yeah, right. Like, I've got little kids at home. What do you expect me to do? What, I hide in the bathroom for five minutes to get a little bit of quiet. You might have roommates and you're like, I have no clue how I'm supposed to set aside time in order to be with the Lord. Even if it's just five minutes, I promise it's worth it. Because you have to prepare or you just won't do it. I think we all want prayer to be spontaneous. We want the spontaneous prayer life that we pray without ceasing. But I believe that's kind of a fallacy because we believe that spontaneous prayer is somehow more authentic than planned prayer. 
But what I've found is the two actually work together pretty well. So for example, if I take my wife on a date and I plan out this date and we're going to go to this nice restaurant and I'm really thoughtful and I do all of this, is that any less loving or caring than if I just said, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee and take a walk? Now, you might pre- she might prefer one more than the other, but the point of both of them is a relational connection. And they actually happen the more time we spend together, the more time we spend planned time together, the more spontaneous time we spend together. Prayer is the same way. I found that a disciplined prayer life enhances spontaneous prayer. That daily time with God in his word and through prayer gives me something to pray about because what I'm doing is I'm storing the gospel in my heart so that it comes out one day when I need it in a moment of trouble. The same goes with fasting. When, when we daily trust that God is good enough, when we feast on God and his word, when we look in the mirror each day and say, God, I'm going to deny myself and put myself under your lordship and your leadership, we're willing to forego the things we think that we need for something better in Jesus. So we need to prepare. But secondly, you need to have a plan. Do you have a rhythm of prayer and fasting in your life? You know, for, so let's imagine that you go to the gym. You know, you're, you're a beginner at the gym. You walk in the gym and you have no clue how anything works, right? You know, you could just start picking up weights and that would be okay. You could just maybe do some stuff. But my suggestion would be to go find the guy that doesn't have a neck and ask him what to do because he lives there. He's the guy who picks things up and puts things down in, a, in a, some sort of Eastern European accent. Like he does those things. He obviously works out. Go find that guy, ask his plan and follow it. In prayer and fasting, listen, doing anything helps. Just like if you work out once a week, it's better than none. If you pray at all, it is good, but I promise it will be so much better if you have a plan. What would happen in your life if you regularly spent time with the Lord in prayer? You can ask yourself, what what can you do in order to set up a consistent prayer life? And I want to make a suggestion. This isn't legalistic. You can take this uh, for what what it's worth. But I think this is a helpful plan. I think you need to spend time daily, weekly, monthly, and annually in different types of prayer. Daily, I think you need to set aside a time of prayer. Spend time with the Lord, five minutes to just seek him. Maybe that means getting up 30 minutes earlier or staying up 30 minutes later. Maybe it means shutting your phone off, but whatever it is, saying, I am going to find some time to pray. And for some of you, you might be saying, you know what? I haven't prayed in a really long time. Or maybe I just don't even know what to say. Let me tell you, the greatest tool you have is right here. The Bible is the best tool that you can use in order to pray. And we're going to send out a, some resources this week, some methods that will be helpful for you to pray. Um, one is just the ACTS method. It's taking the word A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, taking any passage and looking at it and asking, what can I adore God for? What can I confess based on this? What can I thank him for in the supplication? What can I ask him for? There's a great book called Take Words With You by Tim Kerr that actually teaches you how to pray through the Bible. So in fact, if you're interested in that book, if you fill out a connect card, I will buy that book and send it to your house. So upping the ante, we're gonna get the record number of connect cards this week. Fill that out and uh, we will send that to your house. So spending time daily in prayer. I think also you need to spend time in weekly prayer with other people. Look, 
Spending time in private prayer is great. Doing it with other people is life-giving. I, look, I love to eat, and I'm going to eat by myself a lot, but I like eating with other people too. It, it, sharing time together in a community group where you're praying together is vital. I think monthly, I think if monthly you set aside some time to pray for a specific thing, maybe something that's going on in your life, maybe a certain struggle, um, maybe you, you list out the people in your community group or in our church and you pray for them. And then annually, praying for direction for your life. I think often as Christians, we live reactively when I think we should live proactively. Asking God, what do you want me to do this year? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to grow in my relationship with you? How do you want me to grow in my relationship with others? How do you want me to give my life either financially or, or in, in using my gifts or my talents to bless others? Same way with fasting, maybe adding in fasting into some, either your monthly or your annual plan. This could be trying a single meal. I'm going to, you know, once a week, I'm going to, I'm just going to not eat lunch. Um, it could be taking a day, one day a month. It could be um, fasting from social media for a period of time or Netflix or any sort of distraction. And it's incredibly helpful if you have some sort of habitual sin in your life. Because what you're doing is you're creating this growing dependency upon God. And Tony Evans, who has some incredible resources around fasting, talks about how fasting is a lot like hammering at a cement wall. If you were to take a hammer and just start beating on a cement wall, you don't feel like you're making a lot of progress. But what you eventually see is that nothing turns into very small hairline cracks. And then those hairline cracks turn into spiderweb cracks and eventually larger cracks and then eventually chips and then chunks begin to fall out of the wall because what's happening is you're training your heart to long for God and not for sin. And then lastly, practice. Just try it. Like, just try something. I'm telling you, if I told you that there was one thing you could do every day for the next six weeks and you would be so much closer to God, would you do it? Hope you'd say yes. If you pray every day for the next six weeks, especially if you haven't been doing it, I guarantee you're going to have a closer relationship to the Lord. So prayer is a discipline, but there's also a particular outcome of prayer and fasting. Jesus says that a disciplined prayer life with the right motives leads to reward. In verses 6 and 18, we see something incredible. It says, in both places, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to stop right there for a minute. I want you to think about these words. Your Father sees you. Your Father sees you. When you pray, you're not, your prayers aren't just bouncing off the ceiling. The Father God sees you. He knows you. He hears you. He sees your longing. And when your desires are longing after the Lord, He always gives. Because God welcomes the humble. John 6, 37 all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus welcomes the weary. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God invites you to pray because he delights to give us what we ask in his name. And what he does, first of all, and the first outcome of prayer and fasting is he satisfies your soul with himself. The greatest gift that God gives you is himself. 
Because prayer and fasting, again, are about this relationship that we now relate to God as our Father. Because adoption is at the center of the gospel, that you have been bought into God's family through the work of Christ. And now, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are a son or a daughter of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. He wants to hear from you. And when we see that prayer connects us to the one who perfectly loves us, who is worthy of our adoration, who is supreme over all things, it makes us want to pray to him because he's the only one who can satisfy us. And it creates this dependency. And that's one reason that we fast, because in our fasting, there's this confession saying, God, I want you more than anything. I want you more than food. I want you more than social media. I want you more than comfort. I believe you are enough for me. God rewards that with himself because he is supreme over all things. When God is supreme, when the the kingdom of God is the lens through which we're looking, that he would get glory through our prayers, he becomes supreme over politics. He becomes supreme over our family. He becomes supreme over righteousness and justice and missions. And we seek to glorify God as he satisfies our souls. The second outcome of prayer is this. It's simple. God answers your prayers. God answers your prayers. The God who created all things hears you and sees you and answers your prayers. So when you pray to God, what, what do you, what's the image that you imagine? What do you, think about this for a second. What do you imagine when you think of God, praying to God? I think most of us think of the Wizard of Oz. I really do. I think we think of the Wizard of Oz. I think we imagine ourselves, maybe you're Dorothy, Maybe, maybe, you know, you're really optimistic. Maybe you're the tin man and you're really stiff and you hadn't done this in a while. Maybe, maybe you're the cowardly lion and you're cowering before him. I think the way that we should begin to see prayer is like a child sitting on a father's lap. How does that change the way that you think about prayer? Because what do kids do to their parents? They ask for crazy stuff. My kids ask for Chick-fil-A three times a day. They really do because they believe that mom and dad have enough money to buy them everything that they want because they believe we can give it. A good father doesn't get mad when you ask for outlandish things because he's only going to give you what he wisely knows that you need. This is why we can trust God and however we pray, because we know that he will give us what we need. Because we would, if, the way that God answers your prayers is how you would ask if you saw what he could see for his glory and for our good. So when we pray, we pray knowing that God answers our prayers for his glory. So let us pray and let us fast for the gospel to go to the nations. Let us pray for the heart of our neighbor. Let us pray against injustice and evil. Let us pray for President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Let's pray for for them to rule and reign rightly. Let's pray for Donald Trump and, and, and Mike Pence as they exit office, that God would reveal himself to them. Let's pray for God to reign over our, our own hearts. Let's pray for unity in our city. We pray for this unity because this is what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. He stepped into our broken world and Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one as he and the Father were one. 
And he did so by redeeming us through his work on the cross. And if you've not trusted Jesus, we would love to talk to you about what that looks like to follow Christ. Either come find me after the service, fill out that connect card. We would love to follow up with you. Let's pray.